0: October 2015 I was on a surf trip in in Bali had no intention of looking for new products or a new business or anything and was at a, a local market and I came across a local craftsman who was selling coconut shells as souvenirs to tourists so these coconut shells were basically the the coconuts, after the, the flesh and water had been extracted and they had been sanded down, but what this craftsman had done had, was painting them and drilling holes in them as tea lights and basically just selling them to people as something to stick on their mantelpiece. I thought, wow, if these could be turned into bowls that people could eat from, my customers are going to love them. I started talking to this craftsman and asked him if he could make these coconut bowls that I envisioned for me and asked him to make me 100, pack my suitcase of them <laughs> and uh, return to Australia. That's Jake McKeon, and this
1: is The Proof Podcast. One of the best ways to track our health is to regularly get blood work done, so we can take a peek under the hood, and get a feel for the state of our cardiometabolic and hormonal health. You can do this with your local doctor, or you can use a service like Inside Tracker. The nice thing about Inside Tracker is they make the process super convenient. You can organize their phlebotomist, a person who draws blood, to come to your house or office to do the blood draw. A few days later, your results show up in the Inside Tracker app, and they provide lifestyle recommendations based on whether a particular test is suboptimal normal or optimal i've checked inside trackers lifestyle recommendations specifically the exercise and nutrition ones and i can confidently say they are evidence-based and in line with the information shared in both my book and on this show they even added apob to their ultimate plan based on recommendation from myself and others it's also nice to have all of your lab results readily accessible in one mobile app making it easy to pull up past results and see trends and patterns over time. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started, go to insidetracker.com/simon for this exclusive offer. That's insidetracker.com/simon. If you're a longtime listener of this show, you'll be well aware of the scientific evidence that supports a high fiber plant-rich diet for good long-term health. And while I certainly believe in a food-first approach, there is a role for supplements to help optimize the intake of specific nutrients and address any nutritional gaps. Enter Emil. Emil is a plant-based wellness company with a series of products to help you optimize your plant-based diet, two of my favorite products being the Essential 8 multivitamin and the Optimal Omega Plus. The Essential 8 contains eight key nutrients that plant-based eaters often fall short in. And the Optimal Omega Plus contains a direct source of DHA and EPA omega-3s, same as in fish, but from algae. In fact, taking Optimal Omega Plus daily, which contains 750mg of EPA and DHA, is equivalent to eating 2-3 to pieces of fatty fish per week, in line with the nutrition recommendations globally. To get your Essential 8 and Optimal Omega Plus, head to theproof.com forward slash friends and follow the link, which will get you an extra 10% off your first order. That's theproof.com forward slash friends.
0: Jake McKeon. Hey, Simon. How you doing,
2: mate? Very well, very well. Good to have you in the studio today. What is the very first Plant Proof
0: podcast? Exciting, exciting. You promised me you were going to wear a shirt, though.
2: <laughs> Look, I may have promised that, but it's... uh. It's nearly 20 degrees outside, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, so look, before we we just jump into hearing about your story, let's just recap last night. What an amazing dinner we had. It was, mate. It was delicious at Crossroads. Yeah, just so we uh, just headed down to Crossroads, which uh, for those of you that don't know, is in West Hollywood in Los Angeles. We had a, an amazing meal there, just slowly Trying to eat at all the uh, vegan places around Los Angeles, so we've got uh, Gracias Madre tonight, and I think Cafe Gratitude tomorrow. I'm for it. Okay, mate. So let's 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 start off just by learning a little bit more about your your history, where you came from, through through high school, through university. Had you always been on a path towards starting your own business?
0: Looking back, I probably thought that I was guided in that direction just because of my mindset. But to be honest, it wasn't really until I had the first idea to start a business that I thought I'd actually become an entrepreneur. Like going through school, I didn't really plan on going into university until the last year of year 12. And then I applied for degrees that I wasn't actually sure I wanted to do and um, ended up settling on a, a business degree because I thought that it would give me some knowledge and also just a foundation for potentially going to a different uh, a number of different industries. Yeah, looking back, I didn't really have too many entrepreneurial things going on back home. I went to Bali uh, in year 10 and brought back a bunch of bracelets <laughs> and sold them to people at a profit <laughs> in my class. So funnily enough, looking back, that my first business started in Bali, actually. There you go. And then uh, after university, I uh, landed a job at a financial management company basically giving business advice to baby boomers.
2: Okay, interesting. So, so guys that had a little bit less of an idea of online and, and
0: those sorts of things? You might think that, but it was basically <laughs> telling people who ran very successful businesses what I thought as a raw green kid straight out <laughs> of uni. <laughs> okay. So I didn't go down too well, but I was okay at my job and um, it kind of gave me a taste of that corporate life, donning a suit every day and spending an hour and a half on the train commute each way. So So was it a
2: a slow shift in mindset towards thinking, okay, I want to go out and start my own business? Or was there like one sort of defining day? You're headed into work
0: on the train and you're just like, no, that's it. I basically had saved all this money, about $40,000 to go traveling. And one day I was driving home from work and I was stuck in traffic and I was very frustrated, but I didn't want to share that on Facebook. So randomly, I had this idea to create a social network where I can share my emotions freely uh, without being judged like you kind of are on Facebook. So that's how simple my first idea came to me. And I've always been very confident in my ability, sometimes a little bit overconfident. Yeah. And what, what year was that? That was uh, 2013. Okay. So I was uh, 23 at the time. 23. So you had this idea, you're in
2: the car, you're you're heading to work. At this heading state, home. Heading from, home from work. Okay. Yeah. So then you, did you always have sort of different ideas popping into your head? Was this just another idea or was this an idea where you went home, you were writing things down straight away and you were like, I'm going to do this?
0: Yeah. I had always had ideas growing up, but I didn't really know any entrepreneurs. My dad worked for himself and looking back, he was definitely an entrepreneur. Yeah. But I looked at entrepreneurs as kind of the guys creating big tech businesses like Google and
2: Facebook. Like the modern day sort of definition. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I didn't know anyone that did that. But when this idea came for me for the app called Mood Swing, I went home, I wrote down like a business plan pretty much and a whole concept over the, the course of a couple of days. Yeah, wow. I bought, I think it was a book on how to start an app. Okay. And I read that in about a day. So you were starting from scratch? From scratch. You know, I thought an app, oh, how hard can it be? You know, you just got to find a developer to put it together. Yeah. And, yeah, kind of spent about three months working on that before I quit my job.
2: So, so you was, were so, – so for someone listening who has an idea, you you were still driving to work completing your your normal nine-to-five – And then at nighttime, you're working on your own project in the weekends, I guess. Yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah. So I pretty much channeled all of my energy into this app idea and um, I kind of researched all the successful apps, how they got to be successful and networked my way around to people who could provide advice and support. And basically, I, I went after it like I was creating the next Facebook Yeah. So you
2: you benchmarked against those top tier players and and were creating something to go head to head.
0: Yeah. I was not thinking small. This is my first first business. And I literally looking back, I had complete faith that I was gonna be the next Facebook because I thought that people wanted to share their emotions.
2: Yeah, well that's I mean, that's okay. You so you were obviously very driven and passionate about the project. Yeah. And and where Where did you go with that? What transpired over the next sort of three to six months? You left your job. Yep. um, And then what happened?
0: Yeah. So I left my job. Obviously, I had to find some people to build it for me. So fortunately, I knew I had a good friend from university who studied computer sciences and he'd started an app development company. So I got together with him. Another friend of mine was a graphic designer. So I got him to design the app and um, this was so green and raw, but and w- and were you at this stage having to pay these guys, or were you doing
2: sort of deals for equity, or how are you structuring it and funding it? So it was a little
0: bit of both. It was equity, what they call is sweat equity, uh, for doing work, but I also paid them as well, just probably a little bit less than what their market value would have been.
2: And, and just just for the listeners out there, you know. You, you probably know what equity is, but just in layman's term, equity is ownership of shares in the company. Okay, so you you were you, you got going with a little bit of sweat equity, paying a few people, and how did it proceed from there?
0: So I, I said earlier that I had forty thousand dollars to go traveling. So I think I spent about thirty seven thousand dollars getting the app ready to be built, and then we held a big launch event and spent three. Thousand dollars on marketing once it launched, and just to describe what the app did, it was basically a social network, but every update that you posted had a emotion or mood attached, so you could basically share what you what you felt freely, and
2: then in a safe environment,
0: a safe environment where you could get peer to peer emotional support. Yeah, and yeah, so funnily enough, when we did launch, I actually used influencer marketing before it was actually a term to try and grow our community and. Um, what, what platforms was that through? Were you,
2: as in you're using other platforms? Yeah.
0: At that stage, it was working with uh, Facebook influencers and Facebook fan pages. Um, we had a very creative video that got viewed over 100,000 times, I think. But anyway, after three months, we had 100,000 users, but we realized that, that our app sucked <laughs> because they, they would download it once, they'd come back and one more time, and then they would basically delete the app and we'd never see them again.
2: Okay. And do you put that down to the structure of the app and, and the user friendliness? Or was it that people could only you know, actually actively use so many apps a day and you're trying to get their attention away from a monster like Facebook?
0: Yeah, it was a combination of things. Definitely like the, the app worked fantastically and it was kind of fun to use, but there was no user experience. So there was just no strategy or anything built into how people would use the app and how we'd get them to come back. Also, I just don't think people really wanted to share their emotions yeah. as much as I thought they they would. And thirdly, you know, people do have a short attention span and they really only use their core amount of apps. And when you're competing with people's attention for Facebook, Instagram, and, and Twitter at that stage, it's just so hard to, to stay relevant. So anyway, we 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 got all these users, we lost all these users, and then fortunately. I joined a um, incubator and received some investment from angel investors. Is that was that in Australia or? Uh, yeah, and um, we rebuilt the app and made it super user friendly. Headed to America and started pitching to all these big investors that had okay. invested in Facebook and Instagram. So
2: at this stage, your mindset. So, I mean, you, you touched on it before. Your mindset at the start was this is going to be the next Facebook. Yep. Then you've you've taken all your travel money you've pumped it into there, you've launched, you've had 100,000 users, you've seen some drop off, you're starting to question, I assume at this stage, you're starting to question, is this viable? You rebuild it and you go to America. How confident are you in selling this to big American investors?
0: It was kind of fake it till you make it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Which I think a lot of people listening will be able to relate to.
0: Yeah. So, you know, like there was a part of me that, Thought that we were going to take it all the way, but ultimately, when we learned what investors actually were looking for, we realized we didn't have it, and that was a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, but at the end of the day, I I, I was satisfied because we did have a core amount of users that you know at the time was probably about ten thousand people that were using it frequently. They yeah. were getting value out of it. They were getting emotional support from it. So the app did have a place. I just don't think it was for the mass market. Yeah. So that was the kind of end of that chapter.
2: After the U.S. trip, you decided, okay, we are not going to continue on with the with the platform. What's next? We well, you, you know you sit down and and, and you've quit that job. You spent your travel funds. You must have been sitting there just really reevaluating. Okay, where to from here?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much like for lack of a better term, I was I was like
2: shit. Were you able to still log into the platform and update that as a mood or?
0: Yeah, I probably did. (laughs) McKeon is uh, feeling flat, (laughs) defeated. (laughs) You know, I think that looking back, that's certainly shaped who I am today. And it's, it was the beginning of the path that I'm now on. We did manage to get a hundred thousand users for basically no money we grew faster than some of these social networks at the beginning so i knew that there were some skills that i had
2: key learnings
0: key learnings it was just about you know what i was going to focus on and you know what i could potentially do
2: i think that's a really good point that uh, you know 99% of people who have a successful business and you look at their business when it is successful if you go back they had multiple failures and then it's their ability to look at the failure and get the key learnings to instead of just continuing to repeat the same the same errors. So okay, so you've you've reassessed things and 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 what was next?
0: A couple of things. I I basically decided that I wanted to be a, a product entrepreneur. That's that's what I thought my skills were. I definitely developed some marketing skills. I I I, I always consume a lot of information and content and advice from people, so I'm always reading what's the next trend and stuff like that. Yep. And basically chose a business based on what I thought was going to be the next big thing. That was? That was called Super Mix Me. It was a health food product and we started making like a superfood blend. Yep. this was? End of 2014. Okay. So it was a while ago now. Yep. So it was about, I think it was in total about 15 months after I started Mood Swing. Okay. Yep. I knew nothing about product-based businesses, but... Then again, I thought I was going to create a really strong business. <laughs> so I've definitely had a lot of confidence, you know, probably too much at, at times. But, you know, with this product-based business, I, I, I learned a whole new range of things. Yeah.
2: And you took the learnings from, from the influencer marketing from, yeah. from Mood Swing and implemented that with this new product.
0: Yeah. And then I realized, so it was basically a superfood blend, kind of like a granola. We made it 500 grams, which pushed us over the barrier of the cheap shipping option. So I learned that option, that error very quickly, and then transferred into superfood powders. So the acai, berry, spirulina, stuff like that. And was this, so this was set up as
2: an e-commerce business you were using, either you were shipping out yourself or through a third-party fulfillment
0: center? Yeah. So in the beginning, I was just shipping out myself. Okay. I would I'd hire a contract manufacturer. I'd send them all the raw ingredients. They would blend them together, package it up for us, and send it to me. Yep. And then I would ship it out to people as they ordered online. And you you were using Shopify. Shopify. Yeah. Generate yep. sales, social media, whatnot. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So I basically started with a self-built website through Shopify, which is very easy, and social media to to market. And I started it like I had basically no money at this Those stage. Bootstrapped. Bootstrapped. So I I think from memory. I spent about three or four thousand dollars at the beginning just yeah. for stock, and that was that. Okay, wow. and
2: and did you quickly see some uh, momentum and community building? And
0: yeah, so I basically started the Instagram page I think about a month before we launched, and we sold a thousand dollars worth of stock in the. Uh, we had thousand dollars worth of orders in the first week. Okay, so I thought, oh, here we go. I'm onto something here. Then I learned about shipping, so I was basically making. in order of You know, I think whenever you start a business and you build a bit of hype on it, you're excited. The people that know about you are excited and very quickly it kind of falls away after your launch period. The novelty sort of aspect of this, the new high.
2: Okay, so... So at the start, your, your your product was weighing too much. Your your shipping costs were too high, so your margins were low. What what happened with that business? Where did it go from there?
0: Yeah, so we transitioned into powders. I thought we had probably the highest quality product on the Australian market. Yep. I kept that. I actually I had to invest about twenty five thousand dollars to get that stock. Ultimately, it took us twelve months to sell it. And, and was that
2: was that twenty five thousand just for for people listening? That was. I'm assuming because they had minimum order quantities or yes.
0: yeah. Yeah. So, so to I run a production. I think from memory, it was about 1,000 units of each each product and we had four products. Okay. And at this
2: time, so you're sort of pivoting. Yep. Was the traction on social media and using influencers, you know, I, I can remember myself, the landscape was changing quite quickly. You know, influencers were now posting heaps and a lot, a lot of different brands. So there was a lot of noise out there. Was any of this impacting the business?
0: Yeah, so we basically would send out free product to anybody who would take it, but it's kind of like the law of diminishing returns. At the start, you see, you know, people buy instantly after yeah. they see something, somebody they admire posts, and then over time, you realize, you know, some people aren't as influential as you think. You start to question whether it's as profitable, and so this was about, uh, I think, the end of two thousand and fifteen. I was just about to run out of my. I had, I think, I had about. Maybe a thousand units in total left. Okay. So you moved. You were moving through the stock. Moving through sales th- were pretty good. Yeah. Well, the sales were okay. But over the course of the 12 month period, some big companies like Swiss Vitamins and Blackmoors brought in alternative products to us that were on store shelves. So it was yeah. very accessible. And they're running such large volume. Their cost of goods is a lot lower. It's hard to compete on price. Yeah. So, you know, I still thought we had a, a really high quality product, but it's very hard to. Compete against people that size, especially when you're bootstrapping your business. Yeah, sure. Okay, so the year comes to an end. You you
2: don't have that much stock left. What what happened with that company? And then you know, how did your next company sort of spiral from that?
0: Yeah. So uh, while I was running Super Mix Me, I also had I was also a social media marketing kind of consultant for people, which was probably providing me with more money than that superfood business was. Yeah, but. The social media business, I kind of felt like I was just working for someone because my clients were my bosses, basically. Yeah. And and you were essentially giving
2: them advice and implementing strategies that you had used successfully to build a community.
0: And I, I would run their social media for them. I had a staff member for it and it was it was great money. Just
2: um, If we just hone in on that because I think it's a bit of a... a Pivotal point here with all of the companies you've started is community building. So if we go back to, to Moodswing, like you did, you got a hundred thousand people onto the app downloading and ten thousand active users. Then with Supermixme, you developed a really tight community. You're now advising people on social media and community building. What was it? What were you doing that other people weren't doing? Do you think that was giving you that success in terms of having ongoing conversations with people and not just transactional?
0: Yeah, uh, I think with social media, I, I picked up pretty quickly that it's more of a place to have conversations and to educate, inspire, and kind of show people things that they're interested in, rather than just trying to sell them things. And that's what, well, that's where a lot of people go wrong. I was in the the social media business. I was working with maybe. Uh, with mostly cafes and restaurants. And what they previously were doing was just telling them about what food they had. When I stepped in, it's about educating their community and their customers about why they're a great cafe, why they're a great business, the kind of supplies that they work with, what are their core values. Yeah. And really kind of, our community is a sense of belonging. So getting people to feel a part of your brand or your business and making them feel important while also, while also providing value to their lives.
1: Yeah, sure.
0: Okay.
1: If you've tuned in to the many episodes I've done focusing on cardiovascular disease, the leading cause of death globally, you'll be well aware that ApoB is a better biomarker for measuring our risk of having a heart attack or stroke than LDL cholesterol. The only problem is that not every pathology lab is set up to test ApoB levels. Fortunately, this has now been made easier by Tracker a leading health and wellness company founded in 2009 by experts in aging, genetics and biometric data from Harvard, MIT and Tufts that provides lifestyle advice based on your blood test results. With the new edition of ApoB, InsideTracker's ultimate plan now analyzes 44 biomarkers, including metabolic health markers like HbA1c, triglycerides and blood glucose important nutrients like vitamin D and iron, as well as hormones like cortisol, sex hormone binding globulin, free testosterone, and total testosterone, before giving you science-backed lifestyle advice to optimize your health and longevity. Your data tells the story of your health. With InsideTracker, get to know your story and create a lifestyle that delivers better health for longer. Get 20% off the entire InsideTracker store. To get started and redeem this offer, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. Hey friends, the scientific evidence on lifestyle habits that lead to longevity is clear. Now it's time to put this knowledge into action. I'm excited to announce the Living Proof Longevity Challenge, a 12-week program to build evidence-based lifestyle habits to optimize longevity. My team and I have transformed over hundreds of hours of conversations with experts on aging, nutrition, and exercise into a life-changing 12-week program that will challenge you to develop habits that lead to a longer, better life. This is a unique opportunity to gather health data about yourself that has the potential to change your life for the better. You'll start by testing 10 longevity biomarkers that tell the truth about where your longevity stands right now, today. Following that, you'll get a personalized longevity score to guide your 12 weeks of habit building that will boost your score and improve your biomarkers for the better. After the challenge, you'll retest your 10 biomarkers and see the proof of how powerful these science-backed habits really are. Head over to theproof.com forward slash living to download your zero cost copy of the Living Proof longevity challenge today. That's theproof.com forward slash living Look forward to joining you on this journey.
2: So you're 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 doing this advice on the side, fingers in several pies here at the at yeah. the moment, so to speak, but you feel like you're working for someone else. What what's next? What happens to Supermix me? And, and what led you on to your next project?
0: Yeah, so it was October 2015, and I was on a surf trip and in, in Bali. Okay, so you're back in Bali where back you Back in were. Bali, where I started <laughs> my very first reselling bracelet business uh, in 2010, uh, 2015. had no intention of looking for new products or a new business or anything and was at a, a local market, and I came across a local craftsman who was selling Coconut shells as souvenirs to tourists. So these coconut shells, for those familiar with the Coconut Bowls brand, were basically the the coconuts after the the flesh and water had been extracted, and they had been sanded down. But what this craftsman had done had was painting them and drilling holes in them as tea lights, and basically just selling them to people as something to stick on their mantelpiece. Yeah. Sure. Um, because of Super Mix Me, I, I thought, wow, if these could be turned into bowls that people could eat from, I think my customers are going to love them. So I started talking to this craftsman and asked him if he could make these coconut bowls that I envisioned for me. And it sounded like it wasn't going to be a very difficult thing to do. I asked him to make me 100. I packed my suitcase of them <laughs> and uh, returned to Australia. So he,
2: he made those 100 while you were there on the trip. How long did that take? Uh, Go back a couple of days later, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I think maybe three or four days. Yeah, yep. Yeah. This is just a, a local guy from the community making them by hand. Yeah. at a tiny market. Yep,
2: at a market, and you put these into your bag, and and flew home with them. At this stage, did you know exactly how you were going to sell these, or or what, or
0: you just knew these were
2: cool products? I'm going to do something with them. Yeah,
0: basically, uh, I, I thought they were really cool products, and I th- I thought I was just gonna pop them up on my website. Yep. And a few photos on social media and just see what happened. Okay. This is December two thousand and fifteen. Yeah. Sure. So uh yeah, I-, I popped them up on the Super Mixed Me website. Within about a month I
2: had sold out. So that so at this stage, Super Mixed Me was still going. You were using that as a way of testing this new product. You saw some traction, sold the hundred bowls, and I'm guessing I mean, you can shed some more light on this, but uh, I'm guessing you didn't see that little, a little man at the market in Bali as a long-term solution. What role did he play in getting you more stock? Where did you go from here?
0: Yeah, so naturally, as a surfer, I um, jumped back on a plane to Bali. <laughs> uh, or any, any, any excuse to get back excuse to, Bali? <laughs> to Bali? At that stage, I thought coconut bowls were maybe going to be my ticket to <laughs> surfing the world.
1: Okay,
2: and going. To so this talk- is the third the third business where you've thought this is
0: not going to fail. This is going to be the biggest thing ever. Yeah, at this stage, I was probably a little bit more reserved after my experiences <laughs> in the past. I thought, well, you know, I need to actually test this properly. Okay. And at this stage, so I, I flew back to Bali, collected five hundred because it was actually cheaper to fly there myself, collect them, and bring them back with me than it was to ship them and pay all the customs fees. All the customs fees. fees. So I brought them back with me. And this is when I built a coconut bowls website. Okay. And a coconut bowls Instagram. And was the was the initial URL coconutbowls.com or what it how did you start it? So I started just focusing on Australia and it was coco bowls.com.au dot Coco Bowls com okay. Yep. Uh, so this is January 2016. And yeah, we we so were So you, you were you were still running Supermix
2: Me you just you whacked up a new Shopify website, new connection into warehouse where you're using warehouse or you were fulfilling. I think at this stage I was fulfilling myself. Okay, so you're still doing the shipping, yep. whatnot, and and you're setting up the social media. So do you start working with influencers, or what starts to drive more sales?
0: Yeah, so basically the the best thing I learned straight away is, and after my experience with past businesses, is when you have a good product that people actually want, it sells itself. You don't have to actually, you know, promote it that much. And what we found, like the coconut bowls, beautiful. So uh, we found that influencers were actually approaching us, us asking, yeah, "Right, so easy to integrate into their everyday life, yeah, without looking pushy, yeah." And I think that you know, this is actually before I even realised the complete sustainability aspect of the business, um, which we'll get, we'll, we'll get dive straight. into, yeah. But people were just loving them and um, we were getting an enormous amount of content already with people sending us their photos of what they create in their coconut bowls. And it was really inspiring for myself. Um, yeah. I, I was like, wow, these people are loving these products. And, and you're promoting them to eat healthier and yeah. create,
2: cook more food instead of eating processed food.
0: Exactly. And that's the, the beauty of one thing that kind of happened really quickly with the bowl is ditch the knife. You don't need, if you're eating out of a bowl, you, you typically don't need a knife because you eating salads or smoothie bowls is really so by good. default they they're eating more nutrient dense
2: foods exactly
0: exactly and that's traditionally a healthier diet yeah and they're a whole lot of fun fun to use so yeah you know I, I definitely didn't set the world on fire in terms of sales but in terms of people's feedback they were they were loving the product and this was the second test run of 500 odd bowls yeah yeah <laughs> Probably towards the end of selling those 500, I was approached by one of Australia's leading uh, kind of health food brands, which was the Source Bog Foods. Okay. Yeah. They had a range of stores and um, they, they asked us for some samples. They were really excited by the product. So at that stage, I realized, wow, maybe this is a, you know, a serious business here. People love them. So they were contacting you to buy direct
2: from you, sell in their retail store. And, and just so the listeners know, they sell like bulk oats, bulk nuts, bulk grains, all that sort of stuff. Yes, totally. Yeah. Which is the ingredients that a lot of
0: people will use to make a smoothie bowl. Exactly. So our product was kind of, it was a natural add-on for them Yeah. Um, because everybody needs to eat out of a bowl every day and the ingredients, the raw ingredients that they're selling, the, the start of your recipe, I guess. Yeah.
2: Okay. Cool. So, so they contact you, you start to think, okay, well, maybe this is a little more serious than I thought, perhaps not just an opportunity to go to Bali and surf. Uh, maybe I need to start thinking about setting this up properly, setting up the back end. What, yeah. what happens from here?
0: Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll just quickly mention we, there was another trip to Bali with, with two of my friends and we, <laughs> we bought back over 2,000 this time. And uh, 2,000 coconuts. How many uh, suitcases is that? Yeah, that was uh, three suitcases, one each. A big duffel bag, so it looks like we've robbed the bank. <laughs> bodyboard bag each, and a surfboard bag each. And I won't, I won't get into the uh, the bodyboard <laughs> <Yeah>. jokes, <laughs> but, but you uh, can imagine us when we return to Australian Airport, and Customs were like, "This way, fellas." <laughs> yeah. So you, you get into Customs, and are they are they asking a
2: lot of a lot of questions? Because yes. usually you've got to declare, you know. Natural products you're bringing in
0: or plants yeah. or timber. This time I did declare it because I knew that I can't hide these things in plain sight. <laughs> we couldn't even carry them ourselves. <laughs> Long story short, they wanted to confiscate them. They did some testing and they did pass the quarantine and, and whatnot. And I had to pay a small fine and could could leave with my coconuts. Okay. And was that because
2: they were treated, like not treated or sealed? Uh,
0: or- yeah. So essentially... They were sealed, basically. Yeah. So there's, there could be nothing living inside them. Yeah. That, at that stage, that's when I went and purchased coconutbowls.com. And was that an existing website?
2: Had someone like had been using that domain or was it one of those just park domains?
0: Yeah, somebody was using it, but it had nothing to do with coconuts. I think it, they were selling like dinner bowls and stuff like that. So like this, is, this is a good point that if you do have a domain
2: that you, you really desire and you think it's favorable for your brand... And you've done some tests and learning because sometimes they can be expensive. Yep. Uh, you've done tests and learn, and you realise that you've got a you know a great product and scalable scalable business. Yep. Then you can contact people directly and and yeah. and just pay for the domain from them. Did they bargain hard with you or negotiate yeah, hard right. or was it quite simple to get that domain? Uh,
0: it was it was very simple in the end. I just asked them what they what it would take to purchase it off them, and they asked for you know, a little bit higher than I was prepared to pay. So I said, this is my budget. Yeah. And uh, they agreed. And within a couple of days, uh, it was now hosting my website. Rest is history. Rest is history. Tokenupboles.com. Tokenupboles.com. Yeah. And then at that stage, I realized that, you know, this is a long-term thing. And um, the next order, I was going to ship over myself. I wasn't going to ship over myself in a container. And then when it arrived. Still out, out of um, Indonesia. Out of Indonesia. Yeah. And then when it arrived, I was opening up the boxes and uh, we'd been shipped raw coconut shells. So <laughs> um, well, the, the hair wasn't on them, on them, but they definitely hadn't been sanded. They hadn't even been cleaned. Okay, so this is a big problem. Big but problem. it got through quarantine. Got through quarantine, Lord knows how. Yeah. Um, and essentially I'd sold a couple of hundred. Resold. Resold a couple of hundred and I needed to fulfill these orders or refund the them and with a mate ended up sanding them ourselves and cleaning them and polishing them with coconut oil which is a crazy crazy kind of thing to do but you know we got through it and at that stage that was kind of i'm just imagining you now where did you
2: have all these delivered to uh like to had an office yeah an office so you delivered to the office you guys are just sanding your own coconut bowls like a factory yeah getting and and was that
0: a hard process yeah yeah you know to to make the coconut shells uh, or the coconut to turn the coconut shells into bowls it requires multiple different types of sanding paper and polishing and we did the best we could they definitely weren't the best quality coconuts and compared to what we have now yeah i I, I probably wouldn't sell them again (laughs) thankfully uh, it got you out of a a a, situation and that was kind of like the the holy guacamole moment (laughs) that i was like i think i'm on a good thing here yeah let's not ruin it let's Build out. So, w- was was that
2: container of um, sort of raw coconut sent over by the same guy from
0: the market, or was it a different supplier? It was the same. The same guy from the market organised it for us. Um, yeah. But obviously, he can't make five thousand bowls himself. And I said, essentially, like, you know, I'd, it's just the way they do business. Yeah. Um, you know, he was still trying to, and like, he just he wanted to keep the relationship going, and he probably couldn't handle my request was. So he outsourced help and somewhere along the line, quality's dropped quality's off dropped control. And- yeah.
2: I think everyone who has a, a product-based business and is ordering packaging or product from overseas has a, some type of disaster story. Yeah. It, it happens a lot. Um, you know, managing your quality control is super important. Yeah. So from, from that moment on, you thought, okay, I need to be a bit more serious about procuring my bowls, yes. because if the quality drops off, my community is going to be let down. You know, I've just bought gone out and bought coconutbowls.com. This yep. is this is my future now. Yep. So, so what do you do to actually guarantee better quality?
0: That's that's when um, Dr. Google became my friend, <laughs> and uh, I, I started researching about you know co- the coconut industry, and that's when I realised that. Every year, billions of coconut shells are discarded or burned as waste as a, as a byproduct of the coconut industry. So at that, that stage, I realized, well, I'm not going to have an issue sourcing the shells. And are most of those coconuts,
2: is it, you're saying it's a byproduct of the coconut industry. I'm assuming that's to make coconut uh, milk and coconut oil and, and water.
0: Yeah. So yeah, uh, typically young green coconuts uh, are harvested for their water. And as they are left to, to grow longer on the tree, they mature and the flesh absorbs the water and the, the, the flesh hardens and they typically use that to make coconut oil or desiccated coconut, coconut flakes, stuff like that. And through my research, I realised that basically the more mature the coconut, the stronger, more durable the shell would be. Mm-hmm. So I, I realised that you know coconuts that were harvested for the oil would potentially it would probably make the best quality coconut. So
2: you're you're sitting um at, at the office or at home on Google and you're starting to think, okay, if these are a byproduct and there's a lot of wastage, somewhere out there in the world, there's going to be, you know, a warehouse full of these these yeah. these shells, which I can use, reuse,
0: and essentially upcycle and turn into, a, you know, a product. Yeah, totally. And anybody who's spent Quite a bit of time in Southeast Asia, we've we'll seen stacks of coconut shells just on the side of the road, sometimes being burned. And like I've, I've, I've now spent quite a bit of time in Southeast Asia because of coconut bowls, and it's a huge problem, really, because some of the coconut farmers in, especially the areas that we work with, uh, some of the, the poorer people, and they would either burn the shells, which contributes, you know, emissions. carbon dioxide emissions, methane emissions. On the other side, they have to pay to get them collected to be to be buried as landfill. So it's, it's a, it was a nice kind of problem for us, and because I thought, well, if we can provide these farmers with some money for their their shells, and we can take them from them, reuse them, reuse them, upcycle them into these beautiful yeah. bowls, they don't need to pay to have them disposed. They don't yeah. need to burn them. Yep. So it's a win-win, multiple okay. levels. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm quite spiritual and. You know, I kind of think that maybe nature intended the coconut shell this way, and and we just needed to kind of discover that and you know be a little bit more creative with you know, how we do things. And uh, anyway, I, I basically found a guy who was previously dealing with bamboo and making bamboo products, and he said he could make me these coconut bowls. In which country? This is in Vietnam. Okay, yeah, Vietnam. Yep. Vietnam. Yeah, and long story short. You know, we now have a team of 12 people who make coconut bowls every day or Monday to Friday. We employ mostly people from the same family.
2: They would have... So you've employed them and have you had to train them or skill them in actually... Because they're preparing now the shell ready for you then to sell?
0: Yeah. So... We, have, we only have a couple of the craftsmen who do the sanding. Then there's like a whole assembly line, basically. We have some women who clean the bowls. Then we have some women who polish them with the coconut oil. Every, every bowl gets polished multiple times, uh, which hydrates the shell. Obviously, we, we wrap them to protect them on the way to the customers. So there, there's different, different skills, but it's not something that we have to train them for a long period of time. Everything's done by hand, so you don't have to train them to use equipment, machinery, stuff like that. Okay. And so the, the
2: bowls get produced over in Vietnam. You're shipping them all out now around the world or all to Australia or wherever no, they
0: We, uh, we have third-party warehouses who store our bowls and then ship them out as customers order. So we have them in America, Australia and uh, the UK. Okay. And you're selling mainly online? Yeah so we we mainly sell online although we have hundreds of cafes and retail stores that either use or sell their bowls our bowls
2: yeah let's just move on to the book so yes. particularly excited to to chat about this you've just released the the updated version yep the new and improved version of the vegan bowls for vegan souls book which i think is probably the best book for anyone who is already vegan or plant-based and just wants some some new creative recipes, all the recipes, they've been, you know, picked by the top 100 uh, vegan recipe creators. Is that right?
0: Yeah, it's like, some of them are just our customers, some people that have really appreciated our, our brand. And I'll go into it in a, in a minute. You know, I, I don't even see us as a, as a product business anymore. I think we're a community. Um, and we kind of worked with people who... Uh, we admire and people who appreciate our brand to create a a cookbook that um, basically could be used, you know, by any single person in the world. We wanted to make recipes really easy to make people who are not plant-based eaters, people who are plant-based eaters, you know, the book's full of just delicious recipes that are easy to make at home for anyone really.
2: And there's a, there's a mixture of sweet breakfast stuff,
0: savory dessert. Yep. Yeah. So, Eating and cooking is meant to be fun, so we there's a range of different breakfast recipes. There's we call them light bowls and mains because you can transition. You can have that for lunch or you can have dinner, and then there's uh, sweets and snacks as well. Anybody who follows coconut bowls or or, or knows us um, on social media will will see that most of the things that we post uh, recipes, and we found that that's what our community want. They want them to learn how to eat more plant-based meals and. They wanted to see what or they wanted to show the world basically, you know, how delicious these meals that they were creating were and what was in them. And um, I kind of had had a, another Holly guacamole, guacamole moment um, <laughs> when I was meditating and I was just like, I think we should get together all these incredible people to create a cookbook. We decided that we'd create uh, 100 recipes and I wanted these 100 people to contribute one each. And I basically just reached out to them and said, hey, this is what we're, we plan on creating. Would you like to be a part of it? And I think almost everyone that we approached said yes, they want to be a part of it. Yeah, wow.
2: And, and, and so how long did it take to, to pull the book together and, and actually get it produced? And what were the hurdles that you went through in terms of taking that idea and actually having this beautiful, you know, uh, physical book?
0: Yeah, being a completely different product to what we were currently selling, I knew that we couldn't build it entirely ourselves. So I engaged the, the help of a publisher who we basically supplied them with all the content. We asked the, the contributors to send us their recipe, their, their photos, and then we sent it off to the, the publisher to put it together for us. But we wanted to maintain that the book was self-published. So we, we paid them for their help so that we had complete control over kind of the end product and what stores we sold to yep. and stuff like that. Okay. So if someone wants to, to grab a copy of that book,
2: they jump online at the moment. Where, where can they get it? Can they get it in store?
0: Yep. Uh, so right now it's uh, on coconutbowls.com. Yep. And Simon mentioned that we've just came out with our second, second print run, um, which is an amazing quality cookbook. You'll be able to look online at our stockist section. You'll see where other book's sold, yeah, in retail stores. It's
2: it's and I'm quite often asked for someone who's just starting a plant based diet, or even someone who's like, oh, how do I how do I get my mom or my dad to to cook more meals that are plant based. I often suggest this book because it's so easy just to pick it up. The recipes are delicious, but they're actually really simple. Which is the great thing about it, I think, that anyone can pick that book up.
0: Yeah, and one thing when I was doing the research because I didn't want to just create another product that the world didn't need, yeah. <laughs> so I thought that where plant-based cookbooks in the past could have done better or could have provided more information is I think the education side of things, and um, I, I, we teamed up with Jacinta Sultana, who's a uh, vegan dietitian. Yeah, and she's provided some amazing insights into the, you know, greens, grains, proteins to show people, you know, this is the ingredient, but this is actually what it does to your body. And yeah. this is why it's it's great to include in your daily diet. So there's a lot of education in there as well, which was something that, you know, was super important to us. So if you're trying to give someone
2: a gentle nudge, it's, um, it's a great little book to sort of segue them into that lifestyle. Yeah, totally. Okay. So that, that's the book and, and Coconut Bowls so far. Where where to from here? What what do you see Coconut Bowls sort of evolving into? Have you got any other product innovation on the cards? Yeah. Tell us, tell us a little, little bit about that.
0: Yeah. So um, our product range now includes wooden spoons and forks made from discarded furniture offcuts. We also have bamboo straws, which are made from ultra sustainable, fast growing bamboo. So I think that the path that we're going down is definitely providing natural products as an alternative to one-use plastics and disposables so i want to create natural products that are also reusable rather than kind of something that you use once and then dispose reducing of. waste reducing waste like it's it's crazy how much we consume and how unnecessary it is, and and we're we're all guilty of it, you know. I, I quite often try and concentrate and be more conscious
2: on my own personal waste. And yeah. when you do really look at it, you, you see the massive amounts that, that you yeah. consume and the impact it has on the environment. It's incredible. Yeah,
0: it's crazy. And I think that the world needs cool products like what we're creating to help make them more conscious about the waste. The other the other side of things is education. So I, I just think people don't don't know. So we're a community. We have you know, a community of more than a million people now that come together over the shared values of health, wellness, and sustainability. So I think that we're almost like an army that can- Increase consciousness. Increase consciousness and, and you know, Great change, change. change, we can change the world, I think. So like I don't know exactly where we're going to be in five years, but I think that definitely providing more products that can help people reduce waste and really fostering our community to to inspire change. Well, mate, it is definitely very inspiring. You are a true inspiration
2: and I'd like to thank you today for joining the very first Plant Proof podcast. Your uh, business, Coconut Bowls, is certainly having a profound effect on the health of this world, mate. So you are to be congratulated for that. And on behalf of myself and the listeners, we are truly excited about seeing where Coconut Bowls goes to from here.
0: Thanks, Simon. Mate, you're doing incredible things with Plant Proof as well, so... I look forward to seeing your journey and uh, being right there with you.
2: Thank you very much. And that's this week's episode of the Plant Proof Podcast. Connect with myself and the Plant Proof community at plantproof.com and at plant underscore proof on Instagram. Don't forget to sign up to the newsletter to receive our free plant-based nutritional information, including recipes, important blogs, and much more direct to your inbox. Until next time, folks. I'm your host Simon Hill, keep your spacesuit
1: plant-proof.